This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. This is a late parrot. It's a stiff, bereft of life. It rests in peace. If you hadn't nailed it to the perch, you would be pushing up the daisies. It's run down the curtain and joined the crowd invisible. This is an Well, look, Monty Python fans know exactly what that is and know exactly who that is. In fact, it was 50 years ago this month uh, that that program debuted on the BBC and the Monty Python's Flying Circus comedy troupe taking the UK and then eventually the world by storm. Uh, So I know fans are looking forward to this coming up November 10th, Sunday, November 10th at the Jack Singer Concert Hall. Uh, It is a hilarious evening. With the one and only John Cleese, of course, from Monty Python's Flying Circus, Faulty Towers, Fish Called Wanda, and so much more. Uh, The event is called Why There Is No Hope, which (laughs) we'll find out more about. But as mentioned, November 10th at the Jack Singer Concert Hall. And joining us on the line here this afternoon is the one and only John Cleese. John, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. It is. It's a pleasure of me to 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 bring meaning to your lives. <laughs> well, that's good. We could use some of that these days. Uh, although, let's let's talk we about could, the, <laughs> the tour. Why there is no hope? My goodness, that sounds so pessimistic. <laughs> no, no, it's wildly optimistic because all it's saying is there's no hope that we will ever live in a sensible, kind, well-organized society because the people who are in charge, the people who are in power, are always in power because of some psychological weakness of their own, which means they have to control other people. Mm-hmm. That's why they want to be in power, you see. But uh, the main aim is to hang on to the power, not to do anything much with it, but to hang on to it. And they are terrified of losing power, like Trump is now, you know, when he realizes he's going to be kicked out, he's panicking. So they're never going to really look after people. They're just going to look, uh, satisfy interest groups that will keep them in power. So we can't expect much. The other thing is, you realize when you get to my age, very few people know what they're doing or what they're talking about. Uh, I mean, a simple example of this is that in the 1990s, there was a doctor's strike in New York that went on for nearly three three months. Uh, Now, you'll find this hard to believe, but it's true. The death rate went down. Now, if the doctors go on strike, (laughs) fewer people start dying. You have to think Something a little bit odd going on here, you know? And that's what the show is about. It's about the fact that we don't know what we're doing, and we might as well admit it. But that having been said, we can still have perfectly enjoyable, indeed joyful lives if we're just nice to a few people around us, and if we spend lots of time doing things that we enjoy and not trying to be rich and powerful. So it's as simple as that. But there is a great deal of evidence out there that very, very few people know what they're doing. I mean, you take a, 
um, people who, who, what do they call them, investment managers. In the United States, an investment manager will make about one and a half million dollars a year. But he doesn't make it because his advice to people is successful. He makes it from the commission that he gets on deals. So it's not related to his success. It's just related to the number of deals that he actually gets people to do, which means he has to persuade people to buy things and and, 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 and sell things because by doing deals, he makes a lot of money. The, the evidence is there are none of these investors who can really tell what's going to happen. I know it's shocking, but it's absolutely true. It's interesting when you talk about the the trappings of power, and maybe a lot of people might have assumed that by now you you would have a sir or a lord attached to your name. It would certainly be a, a deserved honor, but you've never wanted any part of that, from what well, I understand. No, uh, I learned at the age of eighteen a poem called Gray's Elegy, written in a country churchyard. Paths of glory lead but to the grave. Can all the uh, storied urn or animated bust back to its mansion call the fleeting breath? What it means is, in the end, long run, we're all dead. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter whether you're Lord Cleese or whatever. What actually matters is, have you had a satisfying life? Yeah. Have you helped a few people? Have you been as kind as you can? Have you done things that you enjoyed? And found out about things you were fascinated by. That's what a good life is, not this nonsense about money and power. I know a, a great friend of mine was waiting in a, in a very rich apartment block in New York. And he got into, he was waiting for his friend who was late. And he got into a conversation with a doorman. And the doorman said to him, you know, half the people in this block are billionaires. My friend said, billionaires? He said, yeah, yeah. I see them every morning coming in and out and in and out. Never a smile. Now, what's the point of being a billionaire? Have <laughs> a smile. Yeah. It's people who've got their uh, values completely wrong, and America has now caused us to think that if we're not either rich or famous, our lives will be a bit of a failure. Whereas those are exactly the people who lead a failure. Yeah. What's actually happened is that people who leave a thoroughly decent life help a few people, do a job well, get reasonably well recompense and have a little bit of fun as well. Those are those are the people who are in good lives, and that's what I'm saying. It's interesting. This month represents, well, two big milestones, a, a birthday for you, an anniversary for Monty Python's Flying Circus. Do, do you put much stock in, in those numbers? Is, is it an opportunity for you to reflect on, on how far you've come and where you are? I think I've always had a reflective personality, but it's more, it's more looking forward. It's trying to learn from the past in order to look forward. I don't spend much time thinking how wonderful it was in the old days. A lot of it was wonderful. Some of it wasn't. That's the nature of life. You know, some of it's hard. Some of it is joyful. And I don't think about that a great deal. I'm always tending to think ahead to what I'm doing next. You know, I'm like writing more than performing for some strange reason that's deep in my DNA. I find writing more satisfying. I can't justify it logically. And I'm going to be writing and adapting, for example, Life of Brian for the stage, and I'm doing a musical of Fiscal Wonder, and I have a couple of silly ideas, like the idea of Python Abbey. Did you see that? <laughs> no. I thought Downton Abbey done by <laughs> Pythons would be really Well, that funny. would be amazing. <laughs> so I've got lots of ideas I want to write, and I want more to see old friends. The awful thing about being 80 is you suddenly discover that someone you haven't seen for two years has died. Yeah. And you never sort of 
had a last chat with them. Um, that I regret. It's happened to several of my friends because I travel a lot. Sometimes I don't hear for a week or two about it. Uh, so that's, that's something I want to do, and I want to travel more. I mean, I'm in Vienna at the moment, and it's a fantastic city, a fantastic city, and I want to spend more time doing that and visiting places with my my wife. And my main thing that my wife and I do is we hide and try and jump out and frighten each other. You see what I mean? That seems to be a very good way to spend the last 10 years of your life. I'd say so. There was a write-up today in, in The Guardian about the anniversary of uh, Monty Python's Flying Circus 50 years ago. And w- what struck me is is how, at uh-huh. the time, how subversive it was, how politically incorrect it was, you might say. And we, we still have oh, a sort yes, of political yes, correctness yes. today, right? I mean, how, how much have things changed when it comes to comedy and, and people getting offended? Offended? Oh, they're much more easily offended today. In the old days, it was very predictable what they get offended about. A lot of it was bad language or sex and religion. But now, of course, they get offended about a whole lot of things, which is quite ridiculous. Um, I feel very strongly about this, and I think that BC is a is a, a very, very negative influence on our life because you can be kind to people. Yes, very good. I don't think even Jesus Christ would disagree with right. that. Let's be kind to people. And so far as as, as as jokes are concerned, there are some very, very nasty jokes that are really intended to hurt. And they're a disgrace, and we shouldn't have any of those. Decent comedians wouldn't use them. But uh, the rest, and you, when you tease people, when you say something like, um, well, why do the French have so many civil wars <laughs> so, so that they can win one now and again? <laughs> That's not intended to hurt or destroy. Troy. It's just teasing. And affectionate teasing is a great bonding mechanism. The trouble is that humor is a sense of proportion, and most of the PC people seem to have no sense of humor and therefore no sense of proportion. I would like to ask a PC person, what does a PC joke sound like? Because if you can't make a joke about human beings, and, you, and the only thing that's funny about human beings is their imperfection. You don't laugh at people who are perfect, who are wise and intelligent and kind. They're not funny. It's all the people who fail all the time, like Basil Fawlty, they're the funny ones. So what are we saying? We can't laugh at that anymore because it's too hurtful to them. It's absolute arrogant nonsense. And the arrogance of these people really irritates me. I would love to have a face-to-face debate with them because I don't think they'd win. Well, I will say just in closing here, my sympathies on going from uh, Vienna to, to coming here to what's likely to be a, a chilly late fall uh, Calgary evening, but uh, certainly very much adoring fans uh, awaiting you here in, in Canada. I'm one of the best three states I ever had in my life <laughs> really? in Calgary. Is that right? <laughs> well, we are, uh, we are very proud of our, our great Alberta beef here, so we'll, we'll have some on the grill for you. Yeah, I'm good. Good. Medium rub ribeye, please. Perfect. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. There you go. The one and only John Cleese. Why There Is No Hope, Sunday, November 10th at the Jack Singer Concert Hall. Uh, tickets still available at artscommons.ca. All right, 974-8255 is a number. We are back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.